to start things off, so we're going to shock the world by starting on time today. Woohoo! Um, now, it is uh, great to see you all. Uh, even though it's uh, a little cloudy and wet outside, man, what a great temperature. I walked outside this morning, just so thankful that it didn't feel like February, that I was like, Lord, if you want to let it rain all day, if it can be this warm out, uh, it's, it's great with me. Uh, several announcements as we get started this morning. Before I do, just want to note how great it is to see Kathy Lutz back with us this morning. We embarrassed everybody else last week, so we were, we were just waiting on you, Kathy. There we go. Uh, but no, several, several announcements as we get started. The first being that, uh, just a reminder for those families that are involved with our family ministry, we will be meeting tonight here in the fellowship hall. Also, a reminder of the ongoing small groups, uh, men's small group that is meeting on Saturdays, the second and fourth Saturday of each month uh, uh, from 7.30 to 9 in the morning. Uh, looked like uh, yesterday there was a really good uh, crowd for that. Also, a reminder that our VBS, uh, I'm not sure what's going on with our screen up there, um, Vacation Bible School is coming up uh, this summer, August 9th through the 13th. There we go. And then... Um, our work next work day at the Donegal Food Bank is on May 5th from 1.30 to 3.30. You can speak with Gene Schworn if you have questions about that. And also, uh, uh, Marietta Day will be here a lot more quickly than we realize. That's Saturday, May 8th uh, from 8.30 to 3 in the morning, or 3 in the afternoon. Yikes. Um, and then uh, also the encouragement to, uh, if you want to take part in our ongoing prayer meetings uh, before church, uh, that starts at 9.15 in the fellowship hall. It's been encouraging to see the number of people that are showing up and praying together before our services. Uh, Ministry-wise, uh, just a reminder that the Divinity family will be here next Sunday sharing about their update, Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Millersville University, and we look forward to having them here for that. And then also uh, next Sunday evening at 6.30 here in the fellowship hall, you're encouraged to come and celebrate uh, the ordination service of Michael Rohrer, who um, had a, a lengthy examination uh, back in March, and we look forward to uh, laying hands on him and commissioning him for vocational uh, gospel ministry. Also, if you have interest in being uh, part uh, included in our church directory, uh, you can get information about that from Allison Schmucker. And she'll be happy to help you get, uh, get on our, uh, our uh, online directory. Uh, there's an app for that. It's a great way also to, uh, to, to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ here at New Hope. Uh, our next announcement is going to come from Mike Dougherty concerning our work day next Sunday. Saturday. Goodness. <laughs> it's going to be one of those days. All right. Yes. So, um... Our work day this year is going to be this coming Saturday. Um, we're going to get started at 9 a.m. So we're asking that um, everybody, anybody, families, kids, anybody that can come out to help would be greatly appreciated. Um, any tools that you have, gardening tools, we're going to be putting down mulch, so we need wheelbarrows to move the mulch, and um, we need rakes. Any kind of hand tool, gardening tools would be greatly appreciated if you could bring those along as well. The more people we have, the more work we'll get done. Um, so we're planning to put in a few hours of working around the outside of the church here and 
I think it's been a little while since we've been able to get out there with, with this past year with COVID and everything. So it'd be nice to spend some time on the grounds and getting things looking a little nicer. So appreciate anybody that can make the time and come out. So thank you very much. And uh, now the director of our children's ministry, Wendy McMillan, is going to make a presentation wherever she is. Okay. Well, as she makes her way up here, uh, just a couple of things of note. Uh, first of all, I just want to uh, just point out how exciting it is to, uh, to have the activities and such beginning to uh, kick back up again here at New Hope uh, there will be uh, more fellowship activities to come as well as opportunities uh, uh, to serve. And I really hope that uh, you will recognize what a blessing it is to be able to, to begin to do that, especially after a year of being uh, unable to be involved in our normal activities. Uh, one announcement that I failed to make earlier, so it's providential that Wendy wasn't able to come right up. Uh, we are looking to have a membership Sunday on... Uh, May 16th, and uh, the hope is that those who were involved in our membership class and also others that maybe couldn't make it but are interested in, in, in joining the church, we want to schedule your interviews uh, leading up to that. We've already done a couple. If you are interested in formally joining the church, uh, please speak with me this morning so I can take your name down. Uh, the elders meet tomorrow night. And it's our goal to, to get some of these meetings uh, scheduled. Uh, so in the weeks leading up to our membership Sunday where we have those who were involved in the class join, uh, we can get as, everybody who wants to do that uh, taken care of. So uh, if you'll see me after the service so I can just make note of that, uh, we will be in touch and get you scheduled. And again, we are so excited about the work that the Lord is doing. And we know that good things come to those who wait, and now Wendy is ready to make that announcement, so, uh, excuse me, the presentation, so let's welcome Wendy McMillan. Thank you. And applause, my goodness. I thought you meant the end of the service, like the end end. I'm so sorry. Now I'm out of breath. Okay. First Chronicles 22 details David's preparations for King Solomon, who was then very young, to build the temple. And David says in verse 5, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore, now I will make preparations for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. Parents, like King David and King Solomon, you are making preparations. You are temple builders. At the moment, your little temples are young and inexperienced, but with the Lord's help, they will grow to be exceedingly magnificent houses of worship for the Lord. David's final instructions to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles 22:19 are this. Now, Set your minds and heart, minds and heart, to seek the Lord your God. This is my encouragement to you. As you make your own ample preparations for your children, building the foundations of your temples, first with the knowledge of God, which will then overflow in praise and worship from their hearts as exceedingly magnificent adornments. Here at New Hope, we take every opportunity 
to encourage parents, exhort parents, maybe some of you think nagging parents. <laughs> Hopefully not. We're going to stick with encouragement. To encourage parents in their responsibilities to train up their children. You're shouldering a massive responsibility, and we desire to do all that we can to assist you in your efforts. Last year, Sally Michael, the co-author of the Truth 78 Sunday School curriculum that we use here, published a book entitled More Than a Story, Exploring the Message of the Bible with Children. When I spoke with Sally in October of 2019, she called this project her magnum opus. After purchasing a review copy to see it for ourselves, we decided that rather than placing the copy into the church library and hoping that you stumble upon it, it was far better to gift each family in children's ministry a copy of their own. Why do we love this book so much? Let me share Jill Nelson's comments from the introduction. She says, by the time children finish reading the Old and New Testament volumes of more than a story, they will have taken a chronological survey of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. They will have discovered the Bible's many books and literary genres, as well as major events, people, places, and themes. Additionally, your children will be exposed to the disciplines of biblical theology, systematic theology, and moral instruction, all grounded in the gospel. This book teaches a reverence for God's holy word. It is a comprehensive introduction to the breadth and depth of scripture. It is child appropriate without compromising the text. It is a clear presentation of the, of the Christian faith. It gives a serious and sober portrayal of the problem of sin. It guides children in how to study the Bible. It addresses the mind, the heart, and the will. And it inspires worship of God for the glory of God. These books can be used for story time, devotionals, or as supplements to other devotionals that you are already using. They beautifully complement the Sunday school materials, so you may use them midweek to review the lessons with your children. If you're a teacher here at New Hope, you can also uh, these will also serve as a wonderful reference for your lesson prep. So for those of you with children currently enrolled in the children's ministry program, that is nursery through grade four, as you leave the sanctuary at the end of the service, please stop by the table in the back to receive your copy of the Old Testament volume. This covers not just the Old Testament, but also the intertestamental period. The New Testament volume will be published at, by the end of the year, and we will gift those to you in early 2022. So it's our hope that these books are a blessing to you and to your families as you faithfully seek to train up your children in obedience to the Lord. Thank you for your patience with me. Wonderful. Let's stand for our call to worship, Psalm 96. Psalm 96, beginning at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. 
He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let us worship God together. Oh, man. 
exalted is our song, our anthem through eternity. Praises rise and wake the dawn, heralding his majesty. Christ without a rival reigns over all Exalted is our song, the sovereign over everything. Left his glorious throne beyond, stepped into our suffering. The hands that shake the heavens frame, reach to heal the leper. like a shepherd. Christ exalted is our song, the man of sorrows mocked and tried. For the judgment for our wrongs, for our sins was crucified. Hear the love in his refrain, Father, please forgive them, as he bears a bitter weight of guilt and condemnation. Christ exalted is our song. But in victory raised The keys of death and life belong To the firstborn from the grave Glory, glory to the King Crowned with countless praises Christ exalted we will sing prayer requests to keep before the church family this morning. Um, first of all, we want to uh, publicly and corporately praise God for his hand of protection uh, in the lives of the Barrios family. It is so good to see you all here safe and whole this morning, and we praise God for that, and we'll continue to pray for wisdom for you all as you walk this road. Um, John and Ann and their children were in an accident uh, on Monday, uh, a very serious one, but uh, praise God for his hand of protection and keeping them safe. 
Also, we ask that you continue to pray for Ojama and Andrew and for Ojama's family as they mourn the loss of Ojama's niece, uh, who passed away this past week due to cancer. Um, it was a very tragic situation. Uh, uh, in Ojama's words, she was from the, uh, the Muslim side of the family, and so there is just a, a great sense of, uh, of loss and sadness uh, for the niece and also for many in the family who are still walking in, in blindness. And so Ojama asks that we pray uh, for the family and uh, for also for comfort for, for her as well. Uh, we praise God for the great news that uh, uh, Joanne Mueller's uh, father, Jim Holler, is home from the hospital, and they ask that we continue to pray for the strengthening of his body now that he's back home. Uh, it is oftentimes the hospital can be one of the most difficult places to get better, and so he's now home where hopefully he can, uh, can move around and his body get the strength that he needs uh, as he recovers. So. We thank you for your prayers in these matters and ask that you would continue to pray for these items uh, as the Lord brings them to mind. Let's pray together. Father, it is such a great honor and privilege for us to be able to gather together to worship as your people today. Lord, I thank you for the way that you are at work in our lives. Lord, we thank you for answered prayer. Lord, we thank you for uh, the confidence that we can have as we pray that you are at work uh, doing good for your people and bringing about glory to your name. Uh, Lord, even as we wrestle with uh, things that are far beyond our comprehension, and uh, Lord, we confess that your ways truly are above our ways. And uh, we recognize that, that even in those times when the prayers are not answered in the way that we think that they should be, uh, Lord, that you are at work for an ultimate aim. And so, Lord, we pray that as your people, that this would be an area that you allow us to, to grow in, uh, Lord, as we learn to trust you and to walk by faith rather than by sight. Lord, we thank you for uh, your hand of protection upon the Varios family. Uh, Lord, it is frightening to, uh, to recognize how dangerous this world can be through unexpected accidents and Lord, we thank you for sparing each one of them from this, uh, in the midst of this uh, serious accident. Uh, Lord, we thank you also for, prepare, for uh, preserving and protecting others who were involved in it as well. Lord, we pray for uh, Jonathan and Anne as they consider what steps to take next as they will be in search for a, for a new vehicle. Uh, Lord, we pray you'd give them wisdom and guidance. Uh, Lord, we pray for also... Uh, just continued uh, comfort and healing from the soreness that they are dealing with from the accident. Uh, and Lord, I, I just thank you for um, the ways that, that, that even uh, early on they were able to see how you have been at work in, in protecting and providing for them. And, and so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would use this trial in their lives just for uh, a greater glory for your name and a strengthening of their faith. Uh, Lord, may this be a, a, an incident in their lives that they look back on, uh, Lord, rejoicing in your goodness and in your favor in their lives. Um, Lord, we pray for Ajama and for her family, uh, Lord, as she mourns the, uh, the, the loss of a, of a niece that had quite honestly been enslaved to a, a false teaching and a false religion. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would use 
this loss to open the eyes of uh, unbelieving family members to their need for what Christ has done. Lord, we thank you for Ojama's efforts at sharing the gospel with her family and even with the niece who, uh, to our knowledge, never believed in this life. Uh, and uh, Lord, we pray that, uh, uh, that you would save others through this tragedy. Lord, we pray for your spirit's comfort for Ojama and for Andrew as well. Uh, Lord, even as they re wrestle with the despair and, and the disappointment of, of the knowledge of, of one, uh, of a life lost uh, outside of Christ, uh, Lord, that they would experience uh, deep times of fellowship with you and comfort from your spirit, uh, even today. Uh, and Lord, that uh, it, it would be uh, something that, that ultimately you use for their good in their lives. Lord, we thank you also for the great news that uh, Jim Holler has been released from the hospital and that he's at home. And Lord, we pray that you would allow him to, uh, to get the rest that he needs, but also, Lord, the activity that his body needs to be strengthened as well. Uh, Lord, thank you for Dave and Joanne, and Lord, we pray for them as they travel down uh, again today to be with him. Uh, Lord, that you would keep them safe and that the time together, Lord, would be one of rejoicing in your faithfulness. And Lord, a time of expectation, Lord, as we, uh, as we pray and ask that you would continue to, <clears throat> to strengthen your servant um, as he recovers. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the children's ministries here at New Hope and uh, Lord, for uh, the work that you are doing in the lives of our young people and in the families that are represented here at this church. And Lord, we pray for our teachers and our students as they prepare to uh, to go down for their uh, uh, and over for their lesson today. Lord, we pray that uh, you would open eyes and hearts to see you in your greatness and your glory for our children. Uh, Lord, that as they are reminded of the great truth of the gospel, Lord, that you would awaken faith uh, where needed, that you would strengthen faith, and that you would raise up boys and girls who, who know what it means to follow you and to serve you at a very young age. Uh, Lord, we pray that this generation would be one that you use to bring about great change and a spread of the gospel uh, in, in ways that will bring you eternity, eternal glory. Uh, and Lord, we just thank you uh, for the opportunity that we have to, uh, to, to, to invest in young lives uh, with the gospel and with the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, I, I want to pray this morning for the other churches in this area as well. Uh, Lord, we pray for Wes over in York. Uh, Lord, as he uh, leads uh, your people this day, Lord, give him great joy and boldness as he proclaims the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, we pray your sp spirit will move mightily over, uh, uh, over that church. Uh, Lord, we pray for Brother Jeff at CBC uh, across the highway. Lord, that uh, you would uh, give him joy and guidance and clarity as he preaches the word this morning. I believe they are in 1 John. Uh, use it to strengthen your people. Uh, Lord, we pray for Joel Devaney and, and Scott Harrison over at Grace Baptist in Millersville as well. Lord, uh, be at work as you build your church, uh, as they serve you. Give them great joy in you, we pray. Lord, I thank you for these dear people. It is with great uh, joy and uh, expectation, Lord, that even as we pray together and I look out over this congregation, Lord, I thank you for each person. Uh, for that, that you have brought here and for the work that you're doing in their lives. Lord, we recognize that we are your church, your people, 
And we thank you for that. We know that we are unworthy, but we bless you and we praise you this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing. For all who will be me, 
on every promise of your
This morning we jump back into our study of the Gospel of John, and today we find ourselves back in John chapter 5. And today, Lord willing, we are going to finish chapter 5 by looking at verses 30 through 47. I would ask you to turn there, as I do as well. John chapter 5, beginning at verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. And remember, this is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe that the one whom he, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you do not receive glory, when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to learn from it today, and I pray for the help of your Spirit as we look into this large and glorious passage of Scripture, Lord, that our faith in you would be strengthened, Lord, that we would be men and women who are grounded in the identity of Christ as the source of our salvation, Lord, that we would be passionate 
about knowing you and honoring you with our lives. And Lord, that any here who have yet to believe, Lord, would be convicted of their sin and they would see Christ as the Savior of the world and respond in faith to what he has done to save them. So Lord, we ask that you would do eternal, glorious truths in our lives for our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to share a few truths with you this morning that are just going to absolutely shock you concerning me. The first one being that Actually, I'm just going to share one thing with you that should shock you. Is that I'm a church history nerd. Now, you guys have never heard that before, I know. Unapologetically so. Um, And my primary connection with church history, quite honestly, is, is through books or through information that I've learned over the years. I don't have the resources to be a a collector of artifacts of church history, although that would be kind of cool. But but I do have one historical item that really is what I would consider a prized possession, which is why it was on stage on top of uh, the baptismal out of reach of little hands, because as you know, we have a lot of active youngins that like to run around before and after the service. But this is one of those things that even in my own office, I have on the wall far out of reach from anyone. You have to have a stepladder to to get to it, to take it up, or, or, or to hang it up, or to take it down. And I got this prized possession when I was called to serve here as your pastor. As you know, I was the associate pastor at Grace Baptist, and, and before they sent me out, they were nice enough to have a, 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 a service to, to send me off or, or to celebrate my leaving. I don't know which it was, but uh, one thing about Joel Devinney, uh, if you've been here long term, you know he's been here and he's preached, and he's a, a good man and a good friend and a, and a faithful pastor, but he might be the greatest gift giver I have ever known in my entire life. The guy knows how to bless people with meaningful gifts. And I've tried to follow that pattern in my own ministry, uh, but I don't do it nearly as well as what he does. But what the church gave me as I was leaving was this. And you're looking at that thinking, okay, well, that's great. It's something in a frame. Well, let me explain. To the right, your left is a transcript of one of Charles Haddon Spurgeon's sermons that was written down as he was preaching it. Pretty cool, right? It's original, it's been verified, but that's not what's really cool about it. What's really cool about this is that Spurgeon himself came along behind the transcriber and made corrections and edits to the message. So here on this page, you have writing that would be considered in darker or black ink. It's kind of faded. But then over top of it, you have corrections in a purple colored ink. And that is written in Spurgeon's own hand. Now, you don't have to be here long to know that 
Charles Spurgeon is one of my historical heroes. And the older I've gotten and the longer I've been in ministry, the more and more I find that my heroes of the faith are all dead now because many of whom that I looked up to that are still living have managed to disappoint but Spurgeon is one who finished well. He, he dealt with depression and limitations like we all do, but he was a faithful pastor to the end. And this is a, a prized possession, and in the middle is just a sketch of him, and, and it actually is one that he had autographed. Apparently, uh, his sermons were distributed worldwide. And then on the, your right is actually the text of what this page says, what was printed and sent out to the people. It's pretty cool, right? I mean, even if you're not into historical artifacts and things like that, it's pretty cool to actually have something that was written in the 1800s. It's amazing. You're welcome to come up and see it after church. It'll be, again, on the baptismal, if I don't break it beforehand. And then it will be hanging in my office out of reach of all of us, but you're welcome to come see it there as well. But it almost brought me to tears that this is what he gave me. It's, it's significant to me as a preacher and as someone who loves church history. But how do I know it's real? I mean, anybody could take some parchment paper and scratch on it some words and one color ink and let it dry and come back a few months later and come back and make corrections with another and even base it on one of Spurgeon's sermons. That would be easy to do. He's, he, he's one of the preachers that we have the most access to his sermons because they were published so widely. So how do I know it's true? How do I know it's the real deal? Because if it's not the real deal, it's kind of worthless, right? I mean, it's cool to look at. It's nice, a conversation piece. But, but if I had told you, hey, check this out, blah, blah, blah. It's got Spurgeon's handwriting and everything else. Oh, by the way, it's a fake. All of a sudden, you're a lot less impressed with this, right? I would be. I'd probably still hang it up because it looks nice. But I couldn't in good conscience tell people that it was the real thing. How do I know? Oh, I'm so glad you asked, because on the back, there's a nice certificate of authenticity. Well, why is that important? Well, that shows that it's been scrutinized. It's been tested. It's been looked at. People who are experts that know way more about historical artifacts and the like have looked at it and examined it and dated it and all these things and, and, and rare historical document professionals have all looked at it and they say, yes, this is the real deal. If you buy this and give it to someone, you're not wasting your money. It is, a, it is an authentic artifact. And that matters, right? It matters when, when you have something that you think is valuable, even if it's just valuable to you, that you recognize that it is authentic, that it's the real deal. It's true of items, but it's also true of people. Certainly true of Jesus, right? We, we want to be sure that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he was the real deal, authentic, if you will. 
Now, it's been a few weeks since we were last in John's Gospel, so let's quickly review chapter 5, because this all matters for what we're looking at as we close out the chapter. Now, in verses 1 through 17, Jesus and his disciples, they come to Jerusalem, and it just tells us in verse 1 that they were there to, to celebrate one of the feasts of the Jews. They don't tell us which one, because it really, for this healing, it doesn't matter. But Jesus comes to town with his disciples and he goes uh, to a pool that is called Bethesda and he heals a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. And if you remember that account, the healing took place on what day of the week? The Sabbath, right? The healing took place on a Sabbath. And the religious leaders are not happy about it. They first questioned the man who Jesus had healed, and, and the man, really, to put bluntly, he sold Jesus out. <laughs> but Jesus shows up and, and, and begins to answer these charges of the, the, the religious leaders, and he says, you know what, guys, I am just here to do my father's business. That's, that's what I'm about. And with that phrase, the religious leaders decide that they've got to have this guy dead. He had committed two sins in their eyes. Number one, he had disobeyed their Sabbath traditions. But more significantly, it tells us in verse 18, that Jesus had declared himself equal with God. Now, think back to my artifact. What, what claims did I make to you about it? It was the actual handwriting of C.H. Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. That's a pretty big claim, right? Well, Jesus' claim blows that away. He declares himself to be equal with God, and the religious leaders want him dead. And beginning in verse 19 through the end of the chapter, we have what some have called Jesus's sermon to the religious leaders. And in this sermon, we've seen already that Jesus makes clear, incredible claims about himself and his relationship with the Father. This all ties back to God the Father. Jesus says that he only does the will of the Father. He does the will of the Father because of the Father's love for him and his love for the Father. Jesus goes on to say that the Father has even greater works that he will accomplish. Jesus says that he has the right and the power to give life to whom he will, both physical and eternal life. Jesus goes on to claim that he will be the judge of all mankind in life and also at the last judgment. And then he goes on to say to the religious leaders that the only way that a person can show that they believe what the Father says and what the Father is about is by believing the things that he says and does. And so you need to... You need to have that in your mind as we move forward in John chapter 5 because Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet to the religious leaders. There is no excuse for them. 
which is why you see them ramping up their efforts to, to want to have him killed. He is drawing a line in the sand saying, if you reject me, you reject the Father. And you're going to see that as we move forward here in our passage this morning. Jesus does nothing to change the opinion of the religious leaders. If anything, he's given them more reason to want him dead. And, and these incredible claims that we have saw two weeks ago made by Jesus beg the question, Jesus, what gives you the right to make these claims about yourself? How, how can you say that you are authentic, that you are the real deal? And that brings us to, to verses 30 through 47, where Jesus lays out these witnesses that prove that Jesus is who he claims to be. Think of these verses as Jesus' certificate of authenticity to the religious leaders who were examining him. And there's something that I want you to see in this as well. Is that ultimately, even though Jesus lists other witnesses, these are all witnesses that are being sent by or ordained by the Father. It's important that we get that because Jesus has identified himself with the Father as being equal to the Father, doing the, the will of the Father. And so he says, listen, in the ministry of John the Baptist, you have one that has been sent by the Father. In the works that I do, they have been commissioned by the Father. In the very word of God that you claim to hold to, you have the testimony of the Father. So in all these different ways, the Father is saying that I am truly His Son. I am the Messiah sent to redeem the people of God. So those are the three ways that the Father testifies to, to the validity of Jesus as the Son. Through the ministry of John the Baptist, through the works performed by Jesus, and through the testimony and revelation of the Son of God in the Scriptures. And this really is one of those passages that should serve to strengthen our faith, brothers and sisters. This isn't just knowledge that, that we tuck away so that when people ask us how we can know that Jesus truly is Lord, that, hey, you know what? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at John chapter 5. That's a great place to look. But these are the truths and the realities, brothers and sisters, that we build our lives on so that when the wind and the waves of this life and the trials of this life come, we have a rock-solid confidence that our faith is not in vain, that we are truly trusting in the one who has redeemed us. So I pray that you will listen in that way, that your faith would be strengthened this morning. So first we see that the Father testifies through the ministry of John the Baptist. Let me read verses 30 and 31 to you again. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own, just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. 
So these first two verses don't really focus on the witnesses that he's going to get to, but they tie us back to verses 19 through 29 where Jesus has made it clear that he's not operating under his own agenda here. He is doing exactly what the Father would have him do. And then in verse 31, Jesus says something that is peculiar, peculiar, I think, at, at first blush as we read it. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Now, is Jesus saying that we cannot take him at his word? Absolutely not. Jesus is actually taking the religious leaders back to Deuteronomy for what would count as a testimony that was verifiable and trustworthy. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter um, 17 and, and chapter 19, both established that, that whenever a legal charge was made against someone, it had to be on the basis of at least two or three witnesses. So Jesus is setting the table here as he prepares to present these witnesses to the religious leaders. He's saying, listen, by God's standard, I'm going to present to you, I'm going to make my case to you that I am indeed the Son of God. Does that make sense? Because later we're going to see Jesus in another context talk about the importance of taking him at his word. He's not contradicting himself. He's speaking to a different audience. And so basically he's trying to anticipate and deal with objections that they would have. In other words, brothers and sisters, Jesus is leaving them without excuse. By saying his testimony is not true, he's saying it wouldn't meet the standards of a valid testimony on the basis of what God required in Deuteronomy. And then in verse 32, Jesus says, There is another. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, it would be easy for us to say, okay, well, verse 33, Jesus jumps right into John the Baptist. So that must be who Jesus is referring to. Well, let me challenge you to think that perhaps that's not who Jesus has in mind at all initially. As you look at the context, who does Jesus keep coming back to? The Father, right? I believe that the he that Jesus is referring to or, or the another that Jesus is referring to in, in verse 32 isn't John the Baptist, but it's a statement about the Father because the Father is the source of these witnesses. He's setting the stage for the rest of the passage, if you will. John the Baptist was a witness, we've seen, but he was a witness that was sent by the Father. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. This should ring a few bells with you. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. There was a man sent from God. 
Now remember, early in his ministry, John was popular and even sought after by the religious leaders as one who they thought might himself be the Messiah. Remember John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. The, the, the Pharisees, or those sent by the Pharisees, were, were questioning John. Are, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet that was to come? And his answer in every case was no. There's a greater one to come. John's was a testimony that that, that they would receive for a time, at, at least. But when it came to John's testimony about Jesus, they ultimately did not receive that either. But John was the witness who was sent from the Father concerning the Son. All that he did, all that he said, all that he proclaimed was to do what? Prepare the way for Jesus. His was a baptism of repentance. That meant that he taught and focused on the sinfulness of man, preparing their hearts for the one who would deal with that sin. So the Father testifies to the identity of the Son through the ministry of John the Baptist. The Father also testifies through the works of Jesus, verse 36. Jesus continues, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Look back with me at at John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. This is what comes to mind as I read verse 36. Jesus says to the religious leaders, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. So in verse 36, Jesus points out that the works that he does are an even greater testimony to his identity because, uh, than the words of John the Baptist. You, you see a progression here. The testimony of John the Baptist was great, but what does Jesus say? You know what? I don't, read the, I don't really need the testimony of man. There's another witness. The very works that the Father has given me to do. So we see the Father at work through the ministry of the Son. And by works, the the focus is primarily on the miracles that Jesus performed. Uh, But we need to remember that his teaching was accompanied by signs and wonders to, to serve as a validation of his identity. The one who stood before the people making these incredible claims about being the Son of God was also doing the works of God. Those two things lined up because anybody, as we see in this day and age, anybody can can, can show up and make claims. But Jesus' claims were accompanied by the power of God. The signs and wonders proved that he was speaking and acting on behalf of the Father. And we know that Jesus performed a a multitude of miracles of different kinds. That, that revealed his power and his glory. 
In casting out demons, he he revealed his authority and power over the spiritual realm. Jesus revealed his power over nature when he walked on water and calmed the storm. Multiple times, he showed his power over sickness through healings. We see his power over death in his ability to raise the dead and then his own conquering of death that Resurrection Sunday. These are powerful expressions of who Jesus is. And it's also important that we keep in mind that when and where Jesus performed these miracles was also significant at times. We just studied the account of Jesus healing the the lame man. And he did so on a Sabbath. Could he have done that on Friday? Sure. But he did it on a day that would do what? Lead to all of this, right? This encounter, this opportunity to preach to the religious leaders. He healed on a Sabbath, which demonstrated his authority to do so. Now, it's important that we learn to think rightly about these signs and wonders that Jesus performed. Sadly, there have been movements within evangelicalism that that truly robbed Jesus of the glory in the miracles that he performed because they take the focus completely off of Jesus and put it on the objects of The miracle, whether it be the healing or the raising of the dead or or some other thing that Jesus did, even turning water into wine. They, They make the miracles more about human comfort than about the glory that it reveals about who Christ is. Now, don't get me wrong, Jesus' works display the love and the compassion of God towards sinners. But even more than that, they reveal the identity of the one who heals more than temporary infirmities. He is the one who redeems those who trust him. I once had a friend who was known for for, for making the statement that, 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 that Jesus never turned away anybody who came to him for healing. Well, that's simply not the case. And we can't make that case from scripture. The, the, the case from Scripture was that the, the miracles, 99% of the time, always accompanied Jesus making some supernatural and extraordinary claim about himself or the kingdom of God. Now again, God is powerful. God performs miracles to this day. But when we divorce those miracles from the one that they elevate, then we're missing out on something that should strengthen our faith, especially when times get hard. The works are given by the Father to reveal the person and work of the Son. Can God heal the sick? Absolutely. Does he do so? Absolutely. But scripture promises a greater healing for those who turn to Christ in faith. Can God raise the dead? Yes, he's done so. He defeated death himself. 
But every other person, except for Jesus, who was raised from the dead, tasted death again. But in Christ defeating death, what's going to happen for us? We are going to rise never to die again once our lives on this earth come to an end. There's a greater reality. Remember the purpose of the Gospel of John? You guys thought I was going to make it through a, through, through a sermon without referencing John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31? No, of course not. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe, yes, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you believe, friend? Yeah. Amen. In raising a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, who really, at least from Scripture's record, shows no real sense of gratitude for what has taken place, it has to say something about the one who did the healing, right? Do you think it was a surprise to him that he got that reaction? Absolutely not. But it teaches us about the grace of God. Because brothers and sisters, we have received a far greater healing than that man did. Understand that our sins deserve condemnation. We deserve eternal judgment. In this life, we don't deserve one good thing to happen to us. Yet God, who is rich and mercy, sent Jesus, who showed up and clearly confounded the wisdom of the religious leaders, declaring himself the Son of God in glory, giving his life on the cross to redeem us and defeating death as the proof that all who believe in those things and in faith in that Jesus, we are restored to God. We who can still be ungrateful at times, can we not? We who still struggle in our flesh at times, do we not? Just as ungrateful as the invalid that he healed at Bethesda. Yet in Christ we've been made new. You think our failures were a surprise to him? You better believe they weren't. He went and gave himself knowing that every person who came to faith in Christ would still sin. And he did it anyway. The miracles, the works of Christ reveal to us not just a God who is mighty to save, but a God who is patient and merciful and compassionate to his people. Is that the God you're here to worship this morning? Is that your Savior, brothers and sisters? Because the work that God had given him to do tell us all we need to know about the nature and character of both the Father and the Son. But there is an even greater 
witness than this. Because none of us have been around to see Jesus in the flesh healing, right? No. Not even Gene was alive that long ago. None of us. But we have a greater testimony that the Father gives us concerning the Son. The Father testifies through the Scriptures. Verses 37 through 47. Jesus continues, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would also believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? Jesus is speaking to a hostile crowd. That we knew. We, we, we have studied enough of, of the Gospel of John and the other Gospels to know that whenever Jesus was speaking to the religious Jews, it was not a welcoming audience. And Jesus attacks them or confronts them really in two ways. First of all, in verses 37 and 38, he, he, he's really, rather than referencing the Word of God in the Scriptures, which he picks up in verse 39, it's a reference more to that internal testimony of the Spirit of God. Jesus is referring back to that, that intimate relationship that the Father and the Son share together. The, the Pharisees could not hear the Father because they did not truly know Him. Why? Why? John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. If you don't receive me, you don't receive the one who sent me. Or to put it positively, everyone who receives me receives the one who sent me. Now, some have suggested that this uh, talking about the, the Father's word is, is Jesus referencing the occasions where the Father speaks audibly during Jesus' earthly ministry at his baptism and during the transfiguration. And this is possible, but keep in mind that John in his gospel doesn't record these events. So for him to, to be referencing the Father's audible voice in this case would be assuming his reader's familiarity with, with the events that are recorded in the other Gospels. And this is possible. But I think as we look at the context, it seems to me that Jesus is more referencing that intimacy that he had with the Father, contrasting that with the fact that the religious leaders had no true knowledge of the Father, 
even though they were the ones who saw themselves as the teachers of the law. Jesus is saying, listen guys, I've got something you don't have. I've got something that you don't have and you need to know it. And then in verse 39, Jesus begins to confront the ignorance and the hard-heartedness of the religious leaders and he does not let up. He nails them really in, in three ways. First of all, he reveals their ignorance. They were those who diligently searched the scriptures, but they failed to see the one to whom scripture pointed. Verse 39 says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. The Pharisees and religious leaders were guilty for looking for eternal life through the law rather than seeing their guilt as the law exposed and their need for a Savior. And that's important that we remember, brothers and sisters, that we cannot come to God on our own terms. It is through the testimony of His Word that we are confronted in our sins it is through the testimony of his word that we learn of a savior whom he sent to redeem us. It is through the testimony of his word that we are called to live as his disciples and learn what it means to follow him. These experts in the scriptures, the Old Testament, had missed the central figure in the Old Testament. Don't let it happen to you. Secondly, Jesus confronts them because they loved the glory that came from man's approval rather than loving the God they claimed to serve. Verses 40 through 44. Jesus continues, Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, like you do is basically what he's inferring. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? The condemnation is that they were religious and they were devoted, but to all the wrong things. They love to put on air and, and receive the airs and receive the approval from one another rather than doing those things that are pleasing to God. And isn't that an easy way to live? It is much easier for me to appear faithful to you on a Sunday morning or, or even in a, a meal in your home or are in any setting for a time than it is to walk faithfully before God. So, so the sin of the Pharisees, the, the fear of man or the, or the love of the approval of man is one that we can relate to, can we not? But Christ lovingly calls us to a better way. What does he tell us about, about what it means to, 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 to take his yoke upon him? 
He's gentle. He's lowly of heart. He's humble. He receives us because he is faithful. Brothers and sisters, if I could plead with you this morning, it would be to resist the sin of the Pharisees and seeking the approval of man rather than investing your life in the things that truly honor God. He sees all, and I don't say that as a, as a reason to make you feel guilty, but, but as an encouragement to you that you can glorify God when no one else is looking. You can honor God alone, and you can honor him when you're in the presence of others. But it is a cheap substitute to try to define our Christianity through what we think others are thinking about us. So resist that trap, brothers and sisters. The final condemnation that Jesus had for the religious leaders was that they didn't believe the scriptures that they claimed to love so dearly. Verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Again, they're referencing the law. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his words, how will you believe my words? These are hard words that Jesus is expressing to the religious leaders, but he exposes them for who they are. They claimed to value the word of God. They built a whole religion about God's law, and not all of it was wrong. But they missed the main point. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians that the purpose of God's law is not to make us righteous. No one can be made righteous by keeping the law. Why? Because we've already sinned. We're unrighteous before Christ. The purpose of the law is to serve as our teacher. We have a lot of educators in this church, and I thank God for each and every one of you. And a good teacher does what? They impart knowledge and understanding to their students. The law, as our teacher, shows us that we have transgressed. We have sinned against a holy God. The law reveals our need for someone to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, which is save ourselves. The Pharisees were guilty of using the law as a means for their own righteousness. And they thought they were doing a pretty good job. When in reality, according to the words of Jesus, they were just heaping up more condemnation upon themselves. They devalued the word they claimed that was so dear to them. And brothers and sisters, we must be on guard against anyone who would devalue the word of God because anyone who does is in just as much danger as 
the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Jesus is not undermining the importance of Scripture in these verses. In fact, he's elevating it. He's revealing to us and to the religious leaders the fact that he is indeed the central figure of Scripture as it relates to uh, the, God's plan of redemption for his people. So he says it clear. The books of Moses, the first five books in your Old Testament, he said, listen, Moses wrote about me. We must never lose sight of the authority of Scripture in our lives, brothers and sisters. We need to recognize that those hard sayings in Scripture that many in the church seem so quick to want to abandon because they go against what is acceptable by our culture, whether it be roles of, 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 of the sexes and, and roles in the home or and genders and what is marriage and, and all these other things, When God's word loses its authority in our lives, we are in trouble. And we need to believe his testimony above that of the world. And I made a little crack at the beginning when I was sharing about how most of my heroes of the faith these days are all ones that have already passed on because they, they can't come back and disappoint. I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, even though I'm named after a prophet, but mark my words you will see more and more big-name religious Christians and evangelicalism making more and more statements which are controversial and contrary to what is seen in sound doctrine. And you need to settle in your hearts here and now, this day, where you stand as it relates to the Word of God. Is it the truth God's inerrant authority for the people of God? Or is it something that is malleable with the whims of culture? Not being melodramatic for effect. I am telling you that people you respect right now will turn away from the truth. And you need to know now whether that's going to affect you or not. And by affect you, I mean draw you away. It should affect all of us when we see those who apparently have been faithful throughout their ministries beginning to embrace worldly ideologies and, 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 and unbiblical views on the culture. It should bother us greatly. But it should also strengthen our conviction about what is true. It doesn't matter if the greater Christian world ever knows any of our names. God is watching. And he is glorified when we stand upon the truth of his word. So do you believe Jesus is who he claimed to be? Do you accept the testimony of God the Father in sending John the Baptist? Do you accept the testimony of the Father in the works of Jesus? Do you accept the testimony of the Father in the Word of God? You better. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your Word.
And Lord, I pray that you would help us because there are times when each one of us feel like we are on sinking sand as it relates to the culture and what it means to stand firm and stand in the truth. But Lord, I pray for each one of us here, each one who truly believes, Lord, that you would give us the courage of conviction, Lord, the the growth and knowledge of your word to be able to stand upon the truth, though friend and family turn against us. Help us, Lord, to honor you in this. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. interested in 
taking part in the membership Sunday. Please see me this morning so I can just note that. But our benediction this morning is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. We are dismissed.